IB Talk, the global insurance industry podcast presented by Insurance Business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest IB Talk, the insurance industry's global podcast. And indeed, we have a global flavour today. I'm Paul Lucas, IB's managing editor, and my guest is currently in London, but usually based out of Atlanta, Georgia, uh, while operating across the US, London, and the Caribbean. Uh, She's someone who has built a reputation for breaking through boundaries and challenging the conversations we're having in the industry. And now she just wants to get us all talking again. Uh, I'm delighted to Welcome mediator and arbitrator at JAMS and president of the Atlanta chapter of the National African American Insurance Association, Rebecca Ratliff. Uh, Rebecca, welcome to IB Talk. Paul, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here today. Thank you. Uh, so, Rebecca, uh, we're going to dive into those conversations in a little while, but let's start first with you. Uh, and you got your start, I believe, at CNA Insurance. Tell us what drew you to the insurance industry or, or perhaps how the industry attracted you. Thank you, Paul. Well, I actually fell into the insurance industry, which is a common story among our among our colleagues. I have a psychology degree from the University of Illinois at Urbana, and uh, originally I planned to go into a counseling career, uh, but I decided not to after doing some crisis counseling. And I was looking for next logical steps. What uh, could I enjoy in a career? And CNA had a trainee program. And um, a couple of years after college, I, I actually worked for deluxe check printers just to get myself going when I got out of college. And um, I joined CNA as a trainee, a claims trainee, And as they say, the rest is history. Um, I hadn't planned uh, on insurance. I do have a sister who um, was an Allstate agent at the time. And um, I'll say this too, because some young people may need to hear it um, as far as entry points. I considered um, being an agent first. And so I took the agent test and I didn't do well on it. And that wasn't really where my heart was. Um, My heart is in human interaction and customer service. And so uh, claims was an attractive option. And I got into the claims trainee program 30 years ago. Yeah, I can imagine that there is some um, natural link there between the psychology degree and and claims and the the human interaction element there. Yes. yeah, and after CNA, of course, you made the switch to to um, interstate uh, fireman's fund and, and then Chubb. Um, Talk to us about your career navigation and and the strategy that you applied. Sure. Well, I've always been eager to learn, um, to learn Uh, life. I'm a lifelong learner, I'm proud to say. And um, the strategy, I think, in my career really was to continue to learn different subject matters in claims. I enjoyed being the investigator, evaluator, negotiator um, for insurance companies. And claims is the promise that, that we keep. And so I enjoyed that role and I felt honored to be in a position to make things right. And so my strategy, I suppose, was to take advantage of the option to learn new things. And so I moved through my career, um, as you can imagine, being a black woman, um, the only in in many situations on the claims floor um, or one of very few black or brown people in my career. Um, And so I took the opportunity, did not turn down the opportunity to learn new things. And um, I was able to amass quite a body of work in claim subject matters. 
Well, let's talk about that element of it then, because you know you mentioned the being a, a black woman in the industry, and of course you are the uh, the leader, as as I said earlier, of the National African American Insurance Association in Atlanta, and and obviously you've been hugely successful, including um, uh, earning elite women status uh, from as an insurance business America. Yes. Um, but have you faced any challenges along the way that you'd say? that was related to my gender or that was related to my race? And and if so, how did you approach them? How did you overcome them? Yes, thank, thank you uh, for that mention, Paul. I'm proud to be uh, one of the IBA elite women for 2021. Um, yeah, I, as, a, as a Black woman, uh, I did, uh, through my career, face microaggressions, um, is, which is now a common word. Um, you know, we're hearing about unconscious bias. The covers have been pulled off, really, of some of the structural inequities in our industry. And um, certainly, well, I'll, I'll say the American Psychological um, Association categorizes microaggressions in three categories, microassaults, which is kind of uh, overt, um, micro insults, and then micro invalidation. So, you know, mentions of maybe my hair or um, someone touching my hair without being invited, um, or just different comments um, that were based on underlying assumptions um, because of, you know, my race or gender. Um, certainly dealt with that. And I'll tell you, I love to be underestimated. So I worked hard, I built relationships, and I stayed out of my comfort zone. I learned to stay out of my comfort zone because that's where the magic happens. And and um, I also leveraged the relationships with mentors and uh, had people who guided me through my career who I could speak with candidly about what I was going through and how to navigate that and learned emotional intelligence so that, um, you know, I didn't react, but rather I responded when appropriate. And it's, it's just, it was a savvy that I learned in my career um, in order to uh, continue to gain favor. And, um, and that I would encourage any young professionals um, to always be authentic, even our seasoned professionals, always stay authentic, but understand your audience. It must be incredibly tough, though, um, to to put yourself out of your comfort zone, as, as you put it. Do you have any tips that you can offer um, to, to, to the listeners as, as to how to go about doing that? Yes, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, that doesn't mean that you would take disrespect or disregard. Um, you know, there's always human resources, but at the same time, get what you came for. That That is a skill. It's a skill sometimes to know when to speak and when not to speak on something, but how, you know, how to get what you came for. And there was, um, there were plenty of, uh, opportunities where I could have walked away from something, but my choice was to to get what I came for. And so the strategy I think around doing that is to take on mentors. And when, when you work hard, when you do the work and go a step further, people will also sponsor you. Um, there's a difference, of course, between mentors and sponsors. Um, and these are big uh, buzzwords now in our industry, well, really across ind- industries. Um, but a sponsor is a person who you can't really 
approach. Um, to You can ask a mentor to be your mentor, but a sponsor is a person who lends their relationship capital to you. And you can't really ask someone to do that because you have to be deemed worthy by that person. And um, so, but I, in my career, had mentors and sponsors who stepped up and stepped in um, for me, um, with me. A, a sponsor will speak on your behalf when you're not in the room and um, that person has been able to observe you. They may not know you as well as a mentor does, but they're willing to to speak on your behalf and to help you navigate. And sometimes you don't even know who your sponsor is. Sometimes someone has spoken for you and um, you get the benefit of that. And do you feel as though the industry is in a a good place now in terms of its approach to to these issues like like gender and race, or is there still a a lot of ground to make up? I think the industry has made steps in the right direction. Um, Certainly um, as recently as last year with all of us quarantined and being able to look at um, the the real issues, the Band-Aid kind of got pulled off of the scab. Um, And so I think that we have definitely made some strides with race and gender, uh, but we have far to go. Um, what we need to focus on is obviously building executives within our seasoned um, our seasoned professionals. And with our young professionals, we need to nurture them and develop them. And the next generation, we need to focus on. We need to bring people into the industry and support them. And of course, we know that the baby boomers are aging out of the industry. So they're going to be over 400,000 jobs is, is the um, number that we've been given for jobs that will be uh, available. And we have to spread the good news about insurance careers across disciplines. Well, moving back to your career and, and after I think it was 10 years at Chubb, um, you became a, a mediator and arbitrator. So firstly, tell us, uh, exactly what that involves and, and, and what is a typical sort of day in the life like for you? Sure, sure. Um, yes, the uh, after uh, my 25-year career, last 10 of that 25 was with Chubb, um, I reinvented myself. I, I was looking for the next logical step um, and my favorite parts of the job were evaluation and negotiation. And so one of my mentors said to me, Rebecca, you're doing good work as a mediator, I'm sorry, as a claims adjuster, but you are working beneath your skill sets. And that got me to thinking about what the next logical step might be. Um, And so I considered mediation and I got myself certified and um, the rest is history. I actually founded my own mediation, arbitration and consulting firm, Capital City Mediations, and um, then I just continue to build relationships and, and build my business. Uh, mediation is really picking up in the United States. Well, in the last maybe 20 or 30 years has really become more popular in the United States because mediation is alternative dispute resolution and, and arbitration is as well. And I'll explain the difference. But uh, mediation is confidential. It's it's self-determining. So the parties who care the most about a case uh, appear and negotiate through a neutral party who helps to facilitate the messaging and the negotiations. And um, there has to be compromise, of course, on both sides. But um, parties who show up at mediation generally want to be heard and they want to have some of their interests met. 
And I always say that a successful mediation is when no one feels like they won. Um, the defense is going to pay a little more than they want to pay, and the plaintiff is going to take a little less than they want to take. But if a compromise can be reached, um, and in most cases, I always feel like it can, um, then there's, you know, the chance to move on. I believe that people don't really want to be in dispute. And so it's, um, it's, it's a really a great alternative to trial. Um, now, arbitration is different in that uh, the arbitrator collects the evidence from the attorneys and makes a decision. And so it's not self-determining, which is why mediation is so very popular, especially in the insurance industry. Um, the insurance carrier and um, the adjuster come to the mediation hearing and um, they negotiate and uh, it's an attempt to move the case along or to get it settled. And, and tell us about jams as well. I mean, what are you aiming for and and why do you enjoy being an, an independent contractor? Sure. Thank you, Paul. JAMS is uh, the judi Judicial Arbitration Mediation Service. Um, and now we just say JAMS. That's the uh, acronym. It is the largest, JAMS is the largest provider of ADR services in the world. Um, and ADR is Alternative Dispute Resolution. Uh, so again, alternative to trial and um, mediation, mediators and arbitrators are dispute resolvers. Um, JAMS uh, has over, over 30 offices across the country in the U.S. And JAMS London is here to serve the needs of the insurance community in all areas of dispute. Um, our mediators and arbitrators are experienced in all subject matters, and um, I enjoy dispute resolution uh, under the JAMS brand. As I said, I, I don't believe people really want to be in dispute, and um, our um, our company has experienced neutrals, um, and I enjoy working with my colleagues. The environment is professional. We have beautiful resolution centers around the U.S., um, and uh, one of our offices, uh, well, our office here in the London area um, is in central London. It's the International Dispute Resolution Center. Um, we have staff second to none to ensure your safety and comfort and success in hearings, whether it's technical support or meeting other needs of our clients across areas of dispute. And, and one thing that I know that you're uh, very, very keen to highlight with CHAMS is, is just the, this importance of having conversations around risk mitigation and dispute prevention. So tell us why this has become such an important issue to you now. Sure. Thank you. Well, more than ever before, we need risk mit mitigation and risk prevention. Um, the focus on, you know, we need to focus on risk mitigation. The COVID pandemic has uncovered uh, existing issues that, again, um, we weren't really addressing um, in, in corporate environments and uh, and around industries. So with the overlapping pandemics, COVID, civil unrest, economic downturn, and weather events, um, there are many issues derivative. And so the related issues have given rise to disputes, job instability, housing instability, education, transportation, employment. And um, insurance, of course, we know touches everything. And, and so uh, we have unique opportunities um, in the insurance uh, and risk management and legal communities to have conversations, to facilitate 
conversations with clients and with colleagues um, to find solutions to uh, to mitigate these disputes that are arising in our societies all over the world. Well, give us a little bit of insight here as well. Tell us, um, maybe give us some examples of some of the conversations that you've been having and, and what stands out among them. Sure. Well, um, again, insurance touches everything, and it's it's predicted in the ADR world, the alternative dispute resolution world, that um, disputes will continue to arise um, that had never been considered before. And, um, you know, as people return to work and the world is moving again, uh, some of the conversations are around um, how COVID, the COVID pandemic pandemic has touched everyone in, in, you know, in some way, and we're reimagining how we live and work. And COVID has definitely revealed structural deficiencies in the insurance industry and has caused um, companies to reevaluate um, inclusion. And uh, the way I kind of put it, I, I was in a program as a panelist last week, and I, uh, the night before I was writing my talking points, and I, I came up with diversity is the recipe or the dish, inclusion um, is the ingredients to enhance the flavor and equity is the veggie option. Uh, everybody deserves, um, you know, to be heard and considered. And so these um, revelations happen one conversation at a time. And COVID, as you, as you touched on, there has obviously been a, a massive challenge for the industry. Yes. Um, when you look at it, what do you think are the, the sort of the, the key lessons that have been learned? And, and, I, and I guess as well, what differences has this whole pandemic made to you? Sure. Well, we have to create an environment where people can speak honestly. And um, in the insurance industry, of course, we have um, trade associations and here the networks. And you've mentioned, of course, NIA, National African-American Insurance Association. I am the president of NIA Atlanta or the Atlanta Association of Insurance Professionals, as we were founded. Um, and uh, here in the UK, uh, I'm an advisor to the founders of the ACIN, which is the African-Caribbean Insurance Network. And these networks are vital to creating that environment. Um, and uh, at, at companies, we know that there are employee resource groups to address the belonging piece because um, that's another piece of the um, diversity and inclusion is belonging. Uh, you know, we didn't get it right when, when the diversity and inclusion initiatives came up. Um, some companies started to say inclusion and diversity. They put inclusion first because the inclusion piece is what we were missing. And um, then someone, you know, uh, or companies added uh, diversity, equity and inclusion, because, of course, equality we're entitled to, but equity wasn't happening. And so um, we keep emphasizing the pieces that really make the difference. And what we know is it affects the bottom line profit of companies as well. Diversity um, is directly uh, related to profitability. So, you know. People need to be uh, minorities, uh, black and brown people need to be promoted internally and our young professionals need to be supported and developed um, with the, um, uh, there are some initiatives going on. Um, ACO Insurance Consulting uh, founder Ngazi Anaji is a, a strategic partner with um, and co-founder with me of HBCU Impact. Impact stands for Insurance Mentoring Program Advanced Career Track. 
And um, what we've done, um, and Ghazi and I and Sharon James and Yumiko Motley are all the founders of HBCU Impact, and we founded programs on campuses to attract, educate, and employ black and brown students, diverse talent into the insurance industry, um, because we want to uh, make sure that we're kind of evangelists, making sure that the good news of insurance is being spread. And we've founded programs at um, North Carolina Central, FAMU, Bethune-Cookman, and Savannah State. And we we hold virtual programs um, uh, now, of course, because we can't haven't been able to get together in person in mass. Um, but we have founded programs to make sure that the information is 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 getting out so that we can in, improve and increase um, diversity in the insurance industry. And what do you think it is about those programs that that makes them so effective and, and works so well? I, I mean, I guess in a lot of ways, what I might be asking you here is is what are you doing in those programs that perhaps others are not doing? Well, thank you for asking that, Paul. Um, HBCU and there there are there are several initiatives out there and, and there are companies who are recruiting at historically black colleges and universities. That's what an HBCU is. That's what it stands for. I should have said that earlier. Um, but one of the things that HBCU Impact um, does differently is we know, first of all, three of the four co-founders um, are graduates of historically black colleges and universities. And what we know is that the black culture has microcosms and uh, HBCUs are one of those. And so basically, in short answer, we speak the language. We we understand the culture of historically black colleges and universities. And in many of our conversations, what we've said is that students at HBCUs are not undereducated. They are underexposed. Many, many of these institutions are smaller than your uh, PWIs or predominantly white institutions, but it doesn't mean that the, that the experience is, um, is any less. Uh, this is a very rich environment. I'm, I'm the proud mom of an HBCU student um, right now. And um, what, we, what we're able to do really is to speak the language and be the bridge um, to the pipeline for diverse talent into the insurance industry. And, and you mentioned earlier as well about the structural issues in insurance uh, that, that COVID has sort of brought mm-hmm. to light, if you want. Um, tell us a little bit more about those and, and do you think the industry is, is doing enough to, to put them right? Thank you for that question, uh, Paul. Yeah, what, what we know from the efforts in diversity, equity and inclusion um, and the conversations on implicit bias, which is really unconscious bias um, is that a lot of things have not been discussed and have been let go. And, and it, um, racism is the, is the, I'll just say the word racism is the underlying structural deficit um, in our industry and really across industries. And now that race talks are happening more openly, uh, our industry is getting better. Our industry is getting better and a key message is to recognize and respect the intersectional relationship between insurance law and dispute resolution. As we have these conversations and um, people are willing and able to, to bring forth topics that weren't really discussed before, um, 
we will we will continue to make advancements. And so I'll have to uh, mention a, a third. Um, <laughs> we're doing a symposium coming up in our chapter. Uh, on August 26th. And uh, one of our panels is on the three ships. Uh, really, we're addressing mentorship, sponsorship, allyship. So I'll touch on allyship. Allyship is key right now uh, for people who sit in positions of privilege to share that privilege um, with others who are not in positions of privilege um, so that these conversations can continue. And um it's you know it's it's really important in our industry right now that um, the employee resource groups um, continue to cultivate an environment for employees to be supported um, because that structural piece was built in baked in we we know that um, and there are many leaders um, CEOs of insurance companies that are stepping forward now really and and have made it a mission to um, to foster an environment of inclusivity so that employees can feel valued and so that uh, employees can be promoted within and so that retention of the very best talent is happening in our industry. Yeah, so it's, it's really encouraging words. But if you could get um, perhaps one key message out to the industry at large, uh, what would that be? Well, that would be to keep having conversations. That's where it begins. Um, if you're uncomfortable, um, allies. Uh, and let me say this, an ally is an ally when the person who needs an ally says you're an ally. Um, I've had uh, some, <laughs> I've had a few people say to me, I'm an ally. Um, and usually, um, Paul, you know, when we're talking about allyship, generally, in, if it's in race, in the race con- context, um, it's basically um, people who are not black or brown, who uh, do lend their their platform of privilege, and so we have to keep having the conversations. And if our, if allies are uncomfortable, just say you're uncomfortable. Um, everybody's uncomfortable. I mean, black people have been uncomfortable for over 400 years, and so it's okay. But one conversation at a time. We have to be willing to have these talks. But what's key for an ally is to listen. Um, sometimes um, you hear what uh, what your friend or colleague is saying about the struggle and you talk too soon. And so I would give the key message um, that it is important to listen and then ask questions and listen some more. But in addition to that, read up on it. There are a lot of ways now that um, a person aspiring to be an ally can get information about how to make a difference. Um, there are books to read, cast uh, by Isabel Wilkerson. There's um, White Fragility. These are popular books that um, that are being read now. And and I'll tell you too, Black Fatigue, um, because when when <laughs> when we say um, as as people of color, when we say we are exhausted, I mean we are exhausted. We are exhausted. Um, having gone through these experiences and we're exhausted having to explain them um, to people who haven't done any research. Um, And so there's no quick um, resolve to this except to continue having conversations and everybody acknowledge that it's uncomfortable and then be willing to be uncomfortable for the greater good. 
Yeah, I think that's a, a terrific message. And um, if I can just take you away from work life just for a moment, um, I know you have a very busy schedule, but you also love to, to volunteer as well. So tell us about the, the nonprofit work that you're involved in. Sure. Thank you. And of course, I mentioned uh, HBCU Impact. Um, that is a nonprofit that was um, co-founded. Um, and we are attracting uh, black and brown students to the insurance industry, to careers in insurance. Um, the collaboration, I don't think I actually said it earlier. I mentioned um, ACO um, and the partnership with Impact, but I didn't say that um, a thousand black interns is is the initiative um, that I meant to, meant to mention. Um, and of course, we have companies in the industry who are sponsor partners of ours. Um, and we have some important um affinity partnerships coming up, but I, it's a debt that I owe. Um, the work that I do um, in nonprofit is sowing good seed. It's a debt that I owe to the industry that I love. I developed uh, transferable skill sets in the insurance industry that enabled me to do now what I'm doing. Um, I have a legal career and uh, as a mediator and arbitrator, and, and I don't have a law degree. Um, and um, so I'm, I'm really proud of that. Um, because I, I have worked very hard at, at the relationships that I have. And, um, you know, we, we have to pay it forward. It's, I'm very proud to pay it forward. And um, I'm a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, which is a service sorority. I'm a life member. And um, this is the work that uh, means so much to me that I don't have to get paid for. I'm the daughter of a pastor and a nurse. So I come from a service uh, oriented um, background, servant leadership, and I'm very proud of that. Yeah, and I'm sure there's going to be a, a lot of people, Rebecca, on on the back of this uh, conversation who are going to be really keen to to reach out to you. So, how can they get in touch? Thank you, Paul. Um, they can reach me on LinkedIn, Rebecca Ratliff, and Rebecca is spelled R E B E K A H. It is the original spelling of Rebecca, and um, my email is rratliff at jamsadr.com. Uh, Rebecca, you've, you've been a, a terrific guest. Really, really enjoyed having you with us. Um, Thank you. To, yeah, and to everybody listening, um, let's do this again soon. In fact, how about in one week's time? Uh, we'll talk to you <laughs> next time on IB Talk. Thank you for listening to IB Talk. For the latest episodes, be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts.